One of my favorite shows to watch is This Is Us. Don't judge me. One of my favorite things about the show, although I don't agree with everything on it, is family. This TV series has taught me a lot about family. Kevin, Kate, and Randall don't always feel like loving each other, but they have chosen to do so anyhow. As the show depicts them making mistakes, learning, and forgiving, as you watch the show, you witness them working through tension and the need to forgive and repent. But no matter what, they always rejoice together, fight together, and cry together. And each of them have messy lives, and they don't hide it, but they, they are messy together because family is a high value to them. I wonder if the church, the family of God, has any value for the church in their heart. I know the church is messy, amen, said somebody. I know the church has failed in many areas, amen, hallelujah, said somebody. But this is us. And by the way, this is not a stay at church no matter what kind of message. Nevertheless, I thought it would be wise to preach that, on uh, this word on church and fellowship. The word fellowship has unfortunately fallen on hard times. It is viewed as an option by many. We go, we fellowship if it's convenient. If I have nothing else to do, I guess I'll go hang with those church folks. It's not viewed as essential. Might one reason you feel spiritually discouraged today be you are not regularly accessing fellowship as a means of grace. And I want to be clear, I'm not here this morning to centralize Sunday mornings. That's not what I want to argue. I believe Sunday mornings is one spiritual social system we created to access this means of grace. And it is a good one, but it shouldn't be the only one. My aim this morning is to simply encourage you to access this means of grace, not sometimes, but often. The word fellowship has fallen on hard times. And we need to restore its importance in the church. Well, let's get all on the same page. What is, what is fellowship? As we see in our verse today, it reads, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Help us this morning, Holy Spirit. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I feel my help early on, y'all. Y'all going to have to stick with me this morning. See, the Greek root word koinonia, it, it literally means common, commonality. It's how we tend to form our social networks is through commonality. This is particularly true for core network ties such as close friends. But when it comes to more weak ties, we tend to share more diversity. We discover even during the pandemic is who we had close ties with and who we had weak ties with. 
We had quickly lost our weak ties, and, and, and though our close ties may have become more complicated, we kept them. Your network likely became more homogeneous during the pandemic. There is something about commonality that binds us closer to people. Whether it be Android on this side and Apple, let me just keep going. I, I didn't even want to finish that last one. It's not just familiar, familiarity, but ability to share what we have in common. So let me ask you this. In the past three years, have you become closer to the church or more distant? Have you become closer or have you become more distant? I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. Remember, Sunday mornings is one spiritual social system we created to access this means of grace. I ask because if Christ is the core of who you are, then the greatest thing you can share with anyone else is Christ. Let me say it again. I ask because if Christ is the core of who you are, then the greatest thing that you can share with anyone else is Christ. Therefore, you should have drawn closer to the church, not away. John writes that we cannot have fellowship with darkness any more than light has fellowship with darkness. Our fellowship is in the light and with others who are in the light of the gospel of Jesus. That is what the church is ultimately rooted in, commonality in the light. We don't first have sports in common. We don't first have wine in common. Keep looking at me. We don't first have shoes in common. To my sneakerheads out there. We don't first have skin in common or social media in common, or news platforms in common, or location in common. What we first and foremost have in common as the church is Jesus Christ. And he is our fellowship. And he is the centrality of our fellowship. <laughs> our connection with the light give rise to the spiritual social systems called things like Sunday morning. And what makes it more than a social system is we are the family of God. What makes it more than a social system is that we are the family of God. For an example, skating rinks emerge out of commonality that skaters share in skating. However, the church is far more than a social gathering. We are family. This is us. And how did this family emerge? Where, where did this family come from? Did it come, did it come out of nowhere? Did it drop out of space? No, this family emerged from the Holy Spirit. Our This Is Us starts in Acts 2, 1 through 41, as the Spirit arrived in power and transformed the crowd of people into ambassadors who gathered a crowd of Jewish people and preached the gospel to them and the power of the Spirit. And many of them believed in Jesus, repented of their sins, stepped out of the crowd into the family by the means of the baptism. And the church of Jesus said he would build was being beginning to be built in that moment. 
And the difference between the church and other social gatherings is God started it. God started this. God started this family. God started your salvation. God called us into existence. God called us out of darkness. God created us. God formed us. For many reasons, but one of the main reasons he formed this, if we want to ask the question, why did the big three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit start this family? Well, for many reasons, but for one main reason is for fellowship. If you knew how much of a blessing the body was, you would praise God that when you were born, you were, you, you, you were not born without a family. But God calls you to be born into a family, which we happen to call the church. And we now understand that fellowship is started by commonality. And what do we share mainly? Jesus. See, fellowship implies more than the ability to coexist. All right, we're going to we're going to go in a little bit deeper here. Fellowship is more than the ability to coexist. Friends, this is why people want diversity without reconciliation. Because it's easy to put people who look different in the same room. It's another thing to have those people exist in authentic, transparent fellowship. Because fellowship is actively engaging with one another. Fellowship is the sharing of my life, of my faith, and of my spiritual things. But what does that look like? What does it look like for us to share life together in fellowship? Well, let's look at the early church. Every time I teach this text, I have to make sure we know what type of passage this is here in Acts. This is what we call a summary passage. A summary passage is not tied to a single event. It is simply Luke having collected so many snippets and stories about the Christians, what Christians were doing in the early stages of gathering and following Jesus. He wrote, he wrote them all together to say, here's what life was like for these believers in the book of Acts. Here's what life was like at the start of the church. Here's some things that they did. And what he says is that they were devoted to gospel gatherings. They were devoted to gospel generosity <clears throat> that resulted in gospel growth. That's the way I want to see this summary passage. Three contexts, gathering, generosity, growth. Gathering, generosity, growth. But within this context, Luke is really giving the social media glossy edited version of the church. This is a purely positive outlook at what was happening in the earlier church. Let me help you out. It's kind of like us in social media. This is what this text is. We don't show none of the bad. We just show all the good. Praise God for filters. Amen. Somebody. You don't know what I look like and you ain't going to know. My page is my page. You don't like it, stop following me. Here we have, we got the IG Snapchat here at the church. 
Because if you keep reading past chapter 2, you'll see that this church had problems too. But these things that Luke lists is pretty significant and definitely something that the Spirit was doing among them in their fellowship. So is this a true representation of what God was doing in the Christian community in those first days? Absolutely, 100% yes. And was everything so positive in those days? Absolutely, 100% no. Sometimes a zealous Christian will make the comment, I wish we could just go back to the days of the early church. Those were the good old days. I always want to say, have you read the rest of Acts? Have you read the other epistles? Yes, God was doing marvelous things, but as with every church, even this church, every church has problems. Let me say that one more time. Air, air church. Now, when I say air church, that everybody. Air church got problems. Even the pastor ain't perfect. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody. Which is why we are all glad that the head of the church is not the pastor, but Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. <laughs> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's dig, y'all. Let's go here now, okay? Y'all go here with me. I want y'all to step two feet into the Bible with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, in the prayers, and all came upon every soul. Did you hear that, Will? All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Okay, now preach to us, Luke, the gospel gatherings. If there is one thing families do, love it or hate it, hate it or love it, one thing families do is they gather. God's people gathering is God's idea. And it's important to examine what the early church did when they gathered because, because they didn't just hang out. And we don't just need hangouts. We, don't need, we need more than just a group. I got enough groups. You can belong to a million things today. <laughs> what we need most today, watch this, is to learn the art of gospel fluency so we can have gospel fellowship. Notice in verse 42 that they were devoted to four activities. The apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. None of this activity is new to them, but the content of it changed because of their new life in Jesus. They all wanted to grow in Jesus and love for each other. Now watch both of those now because sometimes we want to grow in Jesus, but we don't want to grow with other folks. Can we be honest now? Can I drop my church mask? Y'all not going to judge me, right? Can I be honest? It is sometimes easier to deal with God than to deal with people. Even those who are saved. And sometimes somebody said, them the ones, my goodness, help us, Lord. 
Because sometimes we want to shield ourselves from the body because sometimes the body hurts. And sometimes we want to isolate ourselves from fellowship because people hurt. But God is calling us into relationship, not just with him, but with one another. And the earlier church had some serious challenges. And persecution and just being poor was one of them. And it was the gathering, though. It was the coming together. It was the fellowship. It was the breaking of bread. It was the learning God's word that kept them going. It was the fellowship that kept them safe. Fellowship is an indispensable habit of grace in the Christian faith and one of God's chief means of grace in our lives. The fellowship involved prayer in the word, both of which, we, uh, both, both of which uh, Luke mentions. And as you can see now, both should be enjoyed in fellowship. We are, sharing, we are sharing Christ when we come together. Praise God for personal devotions. But man, I love to enjoy prayer in the word with you all. It's so good when, when we open the word together and such and such say, man, did you think of this way or have you seen it this way? And to see us to be enriched as we share Christ together. Remember, fellowship implies more than an ability to coexist. It is actively engaged with one another, sharing of life and faith and spiritual things. One writer says, true fellowship is like friends gathered. True fellowship is less like Friends gather to watch the Super Bowl and more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. And I wish I had some folks in the room that knew that sometimes life comes with some hard and difficult things and it'll throw some things at you. And sometimes you need some folks that can pray for you when you can't for yourself. You need some folks to show up for you when you can't show up for yourself. I wish I had some real folks in the room that didn't act like they had it all together, but knew that some of the reason that you made it week in and week out is not because of your own strength, but the grace of God came through a brother or a sister that said, brother, keep going, and sister, keep going. Because Christian fellowship gets us up out of ourselves in this self-centered mentality that the only person that I'm thinking about making it is myself. What fellowship says is that there's other people around me, and not only do I labor for myself, but I labor for my brothers and sisters as well. And it may be hard for us to say we need the church, but we need it. It was the pandemic that taught us human relationship is not to be taken for granted. Do y'all remember when they put us in quarantine? And I was up here preaching to the air. <laughs> y'all don't, yeah, yeah, see, y'all don't understand what I went through. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did tune in, but I ain't hear nobody talking back like right now. <laughs> I was like, is they with me? And I had to find out later when I looked on social media. <laughs> and y'all know y'all don't be fully listening when y'all at home cooking eggs and watching shows in the sermon all at the same time. But we ain't going to be honest. It's all good. We not going to judge nobody in here. <sighs> but when the pandemic disrupted our social life, we all felt it. 
So society had little time to consider the social implications of the pandemic as it was reactive to reducing mortality. But we eventually felt the impact in four social domains, social networks, social support, social interaction, and social intimacy. We quickly became acquainted with the term social distance as it was entrenched in both policy and public language. The pandemic, friends, exposed our need for one another. It exposed the false narrative of independent people. It exposed our deep need for one another, especially the role we play in each other's spiritual walk. Our faith is radically communal and strangely individual. It is radically communal and strangely individual. If you slow down long enough to read your Bible, you would see that the, that the faith that we have is radically communal and strangely individual. What many Christians fail to realize is that perseverance in the faith is by God's design a group project. It's a group project. You making it to the finish line by God's design is a group project. God is sovereign in salvation. Don't get me wrong. But we also see how God sovereignly uses means to accomplish his purpose. And brothers and sisters are part of God's sovereign plan for nourishing our faith, keeping us in the faith, sustaining our faith until we die. And I know that that's hard for us. Oh, I know that that's hard. Because, it, because entrenched, embedded in the very DNA of every American is that we want to be in, independent. We don't want to depend on nobody. We don't want to have to look towards nobody. I want to be able to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, do it all by myself. Because when I depend on somebody, I look weak. But baby, I got a news flash for you this morning. God has not created you to be independent, but codependent on him and your brothers and your sisters. And so this is going to be a humility walk. But to be dependent requires this sort of transparency. To be dependent on one another and to be in genuine fellowship. And as your pastor, I'm always trying to press us in this direction of intimacy. Because American church has spoiled us. Come in the church, you ain't got to be bothered with nobody. Get in here, get your word, get your singing on, go home and mind your business. When did it become like that? How do we get there? And if we ain't getting our word and we ain't getting our song, we out. How did it become like that? When did it become like this? Because when we look at this church, there was relationship. There was fellowship. There was a wanting to know one another. But intimacy with other people is scary. Can we be honest? Come on, can we be honest? It's easy to hide behind the FB screen and the IG and the bird, but, but, but it's one thing to be known by other people. So can I challenge us with one application this morning? I want to challenge this church in regards to intimacy because I really do believe God will move among us if we stop having shallow relationships with God and one another. Oh, 
Communication theorist tells us there's five levels of communication. Ranking them in order from the most superficial to the most intimate. I got this from Brian Loritz's site. I thought it was really good. My goal is to get us, get the church to level four and level five. Level one is cliches and non-sharing. Good morning. How are you? Nothing's being said there. Good morning. How are you? Let me get out this situation because we ain't got nothing else to talk about. And unfortunately, some marriages stay at the level of cliche. If you can't say amen, say ouch. If that's your situation, don't say nothing. Just keep looking at me. We'll talk about it later. When I see you, when you leave today, just say good morning. So <laughs> all you got to say is good morning. And I know, I know I need to hit you up later. You know, or good afternoon or whatever. Hopefully we get out here before uh, afternoon. All right, Chris, let's keep going. Number two, where we stay at in relationships is fat and sharing. What you know? Who won the game? The Bears. That's right. Hold on. Let's keep going because we're trying to get fellowship, not angry in this place. Let's keep going. I don't need no division. Number three, apparent, uh, opinion. Sharing what you think. Win the Super Bowl. The Bears, of course. Number four, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Sometimes you got to keep moving. All right, number four and number five. Let's get serious, y'all. Emotive, sharing how you feel. This is when we start really breaking into real intimate relationships. And this is hard, right? All right? I don't want to talk to the guys for a minute because we don't want to talk about nothing. We, 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 we cliches and we fact sharing. But now I want to talk about how I feel. Right? Growing up many times in our household, Nobody care about how you feel. You better get over it. Boy, boy, you better shake it off and get over it. But I want to slow us down enough to say it's okay to talk about how you feel. And you ought to be able to talk about how you feel with people who say that they care about you. And for us to move beyond in church, the only feeling that we can have is joy and happiness. No, if we are the family of God, you ought to be able to say, you know what? I'm angry today. And I got some words that I want to use. Y'all got a room I can go to? I barely made it today. Or to say, you know what? I'm not feeling the joy of the Lord today. I'm actually feeling sad. In fact, I'm scared. Can I be honest with y'all? To be able to open up and say, I'm hurting today. I some things happened to me. What we don't want you to do is to have to come in church and we put pasted smiles on your face. For you to be able to have brothers and sisters that you can open yourself up with and say, I am struggling today. And if somebody don't help me today, I don't know I am going to do. But you know what we like to do after a person has done something. Then we want to say, you know you could have came to me, but we don't create the environment for people to do it. And then we got the nerves to say, if you would have came to me. Are really sharing our hearts. Number five. Transparency. Sharing who you are. Oh, this is hard. really hard. 
because this is when we tap into sharing our weaknesses. Oh, it's so difficult. I got self-control issues. Oh, that's so hard and so vulnerable. Here's the sin that I'm struggling with. Because we are so prone and so inclined to make everybody want to think that we got it together. But I got good news for you. If God had to die for you, we already know you messed up. I mean, do we really believe this thing that we, that, that we actually preach? Like, like God had to go and die on the cross for every person in the room, and we're going to act like we ain't got nothing wrong with us? When God died, we say we had God had to die for us. So we know that everybody who come in this room is sick, messed up, and jacked up, and you ain't got to come in here like you're coming to an interview, but you can come in here like you're entering a hospital, and everybody know that everybody who's coming to the hospital got some issues with them. But here's the other good thing about the cross. It's already out at all of us. But then it turns around and say, God has also justified you as well. He has cleaned you and made you right. And he has cleansed you of all your guilt. And in that freedom, we step out into vulnerability and we're able to be honest. And when we do that, the cross takes us into a depth of fellowship. We need to get here as we talk about things like gender reconciliation and ethic and economic reconciliation and we are a diverse church. And so this kind of transparency and sharing is even more complicated. Because we're coming with different worldviews, different experiences. But can't nobody tell me that the cross is not able to hold us together and that we cannot be honest with one another. And, and, and see, see, it's important that you get in fellowship with people different than you more than the news platforms that you listen to because you will not have the flexibility and the understanding and the compassion and the Holy Spirit complexity to deal with the complexity of being in community with people who are different from you. You'll look on social media, you'll see them post something, you'll sum them up because you haven't spent time with them. Because something happens that words cannot express when we open ourselves up under the power of the Holy Spirit. God moves in a way that, that, that words cannot express, but he has a way of knitting our hearts together and to be able to have true and transparent conversations and to carry one another's burdens and to care about the things that are hurting one another. One of the signs that we care, I believe, the more we realize we need each other, the more generous we will be as a whole. At least it was true for the earlier church because they had gospel generosity. Gospel gatherings led to gospel generosity. Watch it now. Fellowship, intimate fellowship is now leading to something. It is leading to this kind of generosity among them. Look back at me in verses 44 through 46. All who believed were together and had all in common. And they were selling their possessions. Y'all remember this a couple weeks ago? In belonging. Some of y'all cringing already. Hold on. What do you say? Selling who? Uh-uh. Hold on. 
they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their foods with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. What separates this community from what has been mistakenly labeled as communism is that these people were so affected by the gospel that they decided for themselves. They decided for themselves. This is voluntarily giving to sacrifice their own net worth for the sake of another. Y'all ain't in here with me this morning. They weren't under compulsion. No government was telling them to do this. They all still consider they're possessing a personal property to do it as they please. And what pleased them was to look out for one another. Y'all not with me in here this morning. Like a family, what compelled them is simply came from the heart of gratitude that God had provided all my needs. And so now I want to turn around and provide someone else's needs. They were so drunk on the spirit that, that, that something started to happen up in here. That, 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 that when the love of God gets down up in here, you cannot contain it just up in here. Something starts to turn in your heart and say, this love that I am experiencing, I have got to get it out on the outside because I can't just contain it on the inside. It's called an overflow. I love the way Pastor Dan says it. He says, a, a, a gospel generosity is always motivated by what God has done in Jesus. To change my thoughts, behavior regarding the things I possess to become things that bless. See, what you got to understand about the earlier church, particularly the one that Luke is talking about, these were not the wealthiest 1% in Jerusalem of the day. They certainly had the least political power. Their leader was crucified by the powers that be. They had very little economic power. Each of them held regular jobs. They were not very rich in material, but they were rich in love. Okay? I want to make sure you're tracking me now. They were rich in love. They didn't see their brothers and sisters' situation as that's them. That's on, that's on cuz. That ain't got nothing to do with me. But they seen every situation, I want y'all to capture this, as this is our situation. Did you catch it? They caught the vision that God had. And remember, we talked earlier about, about, about I was upon all of them. Miraculous signs were being done. Right? There's something that moves God when we love each other on this level. God blows in a way that, that, that can't be really explained. It's a miracle almost. That, 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 that when we get the picture of this is us. God says, now that's my heart, and that's where my glory is, and I'm going to blow on that. I believe the Spirit opened their eyes to see they were really dependent on each other. 
and that they were one body. What are the essential things the human body needs to stay alive? Social media? No. What about a bay? Never mind. Money? No. Okay, let's be serious. Here's what I discovered. All things, all, all, all joking aside, what the body needs at all times and immediately or it will die. It will literally die without it. The body needs food and it needs water, but it can survive for an extended period of time without both of those. Now watch this. The body also needs oxygen in the nervous system. Without these two, the body dies immediately. It is the nervous system that grabs my attention. The other three we hear about often. But the nervous system is so important because it helps the parts in the body to communicate. The body is so dependent on each other that without the continual line of communication, the body will die because the parts wouldn't be able to depend on one another. That's crazy to me. One of the ways your body stays alive is by dependency on the other parts. There is no one part that keeps the body alive by itself. And God has so orchestrated his body to church in the same way. We need each other lest we die. The perseverance of the body is contingent on all parts. And friends, the true body of Christ, we need one another. I'm proud of this congregation. I'm proud of you all because, and I believe God is proud of us. I'm so grateful that last week we had a tree out in the lobby. And we had needs all over that tree. I wasn't here last week. I was gone. But the report came back to me that the tree was empty. That this body responded to the needs in this congregation. And people were supposed to bring their things today. Just keep looking at me if you didn't. And you're like, oh, shoot, he put me in a sermon and I ain't even got it. Let me make a run to the corner store real fast. I'll be back. You ain't got to run to the gas station. You can bring it next week. But we have received over $500 cash and gift cards to help with rent, groceries, and gas. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody. See, if y'all knew gas prices and grocery prices, you would clap a little bit louder. Let me tell you. Every time I go in line, it's just for me, Amy. I'm like, 20 items, we had $300 already? Put the eggs back. No, I'm just around. <laughs> prices, it's, it's serious out here. We also received prayer requests uh, to remain cancer-free, so would you please pray? Uh, we do have family members who are struggling with, with, with uh, health issues. But when that tree was bare, it was a reminder that we're starting to understand that this faith is not just about me. And to go to our brother and sister and say, hey, we, we answered your prayers. And to see tears come in their eyes. I just believe that, that God does something in those moments. Not only for the receiver, but for the giver. That something happens inside of you when you step out of this kind of selfish mentality and considering the interests of others as more important than yourselves, according to Philippians. But then something happened. Through all of this activity, a gospel fellowship, 
and gospel generosity. God did something. Watch it now. Gospel growth. Having favor with all people. The Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being what? Saved. Again, we find the Lord adds to their number day by day, not the miraculous 3,000 at once, though that's coming again in a few chapters, but every day, every day the gospel grows. Let me ask again, was this a perfect group of people? Not at all. But when dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the spirit, this group of people gained favor in the community. Okay, we're talking about now going to be on ourselves because as we love one another, that light goes out into the world. People see something distinctly different and they're drawn to that. What is this? This doesn't make sense to us. People don't care for each other the way that these people are caring for one another. It's attractive. They met real needs steadily and persistently. The church grew by person after person putting their faith in Jesus Christ. The goal is not just needs met. The goal is that people will ultimately have their spiritual need met by Jesus Christ as we shine the light of Christ. Here we taste how potent and personal is fellowship as a means of grace. God, God pulled people out of a crowd and place them into a family. They are attracted to the family because of their fellowship. You know, there's a lot of talk on how do you grow a church? And a lot of it is you got to brand yourself really well. You got to get you a nice, handsome, strapping, good-looking preacher. Which is why we ain't growing. Which is why we ain't growing. And then, and then secondly, I mean thirdly, you gotta get you a you gotta get you a killer worship team. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta get you a killer worship team. And people are doing all of that, but the church ain't experiencing power. People are filling up the building, but people are leaving empty. The building is full, but the people are empty. Because the way that you grow a church is not through clean and good and, and great music and great art. And I ain't against those things. But the way that you really grow a church and experience power where people don't leave empty is that you got to love one another. <clears throat> and you know why we're creating all of this stuff around this simple thing of being a family? Because being a family is hard. But that's what people are longing. Not just any fellowship. This fellowship is no isolated commune or static or mutual admiration. Society is a partnership for the gospel. Among those giving their everything to advance the gospel. Knit together for the progress and joy in the faith. It is fellowship in which, as Paul says to Philippians, you are partakers with me of grace in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And one of the biggest defenses for the gospel is Christian fellowship. 
One of the biggest defenses for the gospel is Christian fellowship. One of the biggest defenses for the gospel is Christian fellowship. One of the biggest defenses for the gospel is Christian fellowship. And we love high-sounding arguments. We love expiation and justification and all these Asians. But how about we just love each other? How about that? And not just any fellowship, but fellowship that calls you out of the crowd and into a family. And in that family, you not only become known to God, but to us. We want to know you. We want to know your story. And we don't want you to just be lumped in a crowd, but we know that you got a face and you got a name. And we want to know you. And we don't just want your money. We want your life And we want you to join in this gospel mission with us. We want to get close. We want to stay close. And we want to go deep. Where a brother and sister know me as me. Where we become more than a crowd and more than a face, but a name. You see, fellowship brings us closer together. Here you go, Leanne. Closer together and tightens the gap between us like tuck pointing. All right. Pastor, what in the world is tuck pointing? Some of y'all are very edumacated and you already know what tuck pointing is, but I recently found out what it was. As I've been looking for a building for this church gathering, I was looking at one building and I had this inspection guy come out and he said, he said, uh, he said, Pastor, uh, 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 you got a problem with this building. I said, I said, what is it? He said, he says, you're going to need some tuck pointing done here. I looked at him. I said, first of all, what you talking about? That's the first time you ain't just going to come at me like that without a definition. I said, I said, I said, what are you talking about? He says, he said, come here. Um, just come a little bit closer. You see these gaps in these bricks. These need to be filled in. He said sometimes over time, bricks can become separated and create openings for inside elements to get in. At this point, I'm like, all right, you can stop talking because that'll preach all by itself. I got my sermon. You can go home, but I need to figure out what else that you're talking about. And he said tuck pointing fills in the gaps between the bricks where they have separated over time. And it's critical, young man, that you fill in gaps because if you don't, outside elements will get into the building, rot the wood, and destroy it. And friends, all I'm trying to say is fellowship ain't nothing but tuck pointing. Friends, what fellowship does is close the gaps between us and makes us closer together so the things on the outside can't get on the inside of the body. I'm talking about things like Satan. I'm talking about things like sin. I'm talking about things like gossip. I'm talking about the things that come into the church and breaks it down. But friends, if we would pull together. Satan going to have a hard time getting up in this body. He's going to have a hard time letting gossip break down this body. The closer that we are, the almighty God will work in such a way that he'll pull us together. Oh, and I know. Oh, and I know that Satan is looking for the gap. In fact, he knows the gaps more than you, more than you, more than you, more than you, more than you. What fellowship does is it closes those gaps and it makes us closer. 
And the closer we are, the stronger we are. Anybody want to frustrate the devil when he's going around the building and he can't find a way in? He said, let me try the north side. Oh, they didn't tuck point at that place. Let me go to the west side. They didn't tuck point at that place. Anybody want to frustrate the devil? Frustrate sin? God closed the gaps. We know we won't be perfect. We know that there'll be little spaces. But if he gets in, let's make it super hard for him. Which means that we gotta have real discussions. Which means that we gotta have real conversations about things that church folks don't like to talk about. Right? We're not just looking for diversity. We want reconciliation. Right? Which means that sometimes we're going to have conversations that deepens our fellowship and your feelings are going to get hurt and you're going to take your ball and you're going to want to go home because that hurt really, really, really bad. Pray to God that he will give you the strength to endure and to help us to close the gaps. And as we do, may God then use us to transform Northwest Indiana. Something powerful happened this weekend as the worship team is coming back. I seen with my own eyes four churches come together over Northwest Indiana. I seen it yesterday. I was here. I felt it. I experienced it. We got together. And you can go when you leave here, if you were not here. And we cleaned up four lots. Now, that may not be impressive to you because you didn't see them beforehand. <laughs> I told him, I said, I don't know what's in that jungle back there. I don't know what you're going to find. I know we're going to be closer together after it's all done with. And we went, and you seen brothers and sisters working side by side. Somebody almost died from a poisonous spider, but hey, God protected us from that. And we cleared those lots. And I love the way Laura put it, where there was, where there was junk and there was mess and there was filth. When the church came together, they cleared away the filth. They cleared away the mess, and the light of the sun shining forth through those lights. And friends, all I'm saying is that when the church work together, we won't just be cleaning lots. We'll be cleaning lives in partnership with God. That light may shine in this dark world.